Welcome to the Salem Fields Community Church Podcast of the Weekly Message. We hope that you find this podcast personally helpful, and we also encourage you to share the subscription link found at salemfields.com podcast with your friends that might be able to use some practical advice and encouragement. Well, we're looking at silent killers in this series, and uh, Buddy talked to you a couple weeks ago about pride, last week about apathy, and people said, well, I don't care about that. And today we're going to look at covet. Now, covet is a word that kind of seems old and, and uh, outdated. Maybe it's because it's connected to the Ten Commandments. And we don't talk about the Ten Commandments a whole lot. In fact, uh, this one is the Tenth Commandment. Now, here's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have you read the Tenth Commandment. And see why it seems like a little outdated. Go ahead, read this. Thou shalt not covet. (laughs) Good job. I think this side was just a little bit ahead of this side. So it was up here. It was really kind of awesome to hear stereo. Um... But see, covet, (laughs) thank you for reading that. So who has a manservant or a maidservant here? Anybody? You do? Oh, there's your manservant. (laughs) Yes. Could you tell us how that works? Uh, We're not to covet him. (laughs) Okay, now who here has an ox? Nobody? I'm not going to ask you about the next one. Okay, (laughs) so we're going to take a little bit more of a modern day look at this commandment and let's read this one together. Go ahead. No lusting after your. Oh, it's a donkey. Yeah, that's what that is. Um, Well, it sounds a little more relevant to us. It used that word lusting in kind of the place of covet, but that's a very strong word. And uh, that wife and servant and and maid and donkey. And right there, it looks more relevant to us. Don't set your heart on anything that's your neighbor's. But it doesn't use that word covet. We just don't use that word very much anymore. Uh, That commandment, that command just seems archaic, but I can tell you this, coveting is alive and well. It just is. See, commandments tell us what not to do. You have to say, you have to see that back in that day, the people were just out of control. Their behavior was out of control. And God said, whoa, we need some boundaries here. We need some parameters. We need to tell the people, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this. And it really focused on their behavior. But it really didn't help them know how to live that. Uh, They said, don't commit adultery. But it really didn't talk about how you treat your spouse with respect. Because you see, that's a matter of the heart. The commandments were about the behavior, but, but this involved the heart. It involves thoughts and feelings and wants and desires. And that is a whole lot more difficult to sort out. One through nine was really about 
Don't do this. Things that you could measure. If somebody murdered someone, you could measure that. You could know that. But this coveting thing involves something a little different and a little deeper within the heart of a person. So let's look at a definition. Merriam-Webster, somehow she knows everything about words. And that's where I got this. Um, Covet, a good definition, is to want something that you don't have very much. To desire what belongs to another. To kind of get your eye looking over there at somebody else and saying, I want that. To feel inordinate, and that means unregulated or out of control, desire for what belongs to somebody else. What someone else has, I look at that and I say, oh man, I, I really want that. We all have those things, but first of all, it's really, really important that we understand that coveting is not necessarily wrong. It's kind of used in this negative context don't do it. But it's not necessarily wrong. See, I covet your prayers. Brad and Jennifer, I covet your prayers. I need you to pray for me. You've got something within you that you can offer to the Lord, and I covet your prayers. I covet living a godly life. I covet God's blessing. So coveting is not necessarily wrong. Wants and desires and wishes, they can be really good. I want a college education. I want an awesome spouse. I want, I, I want to help others. So our, you know, and I still look up at the stars and say, when I wish upon that star, I don't know, I just want to be a little kid. Wishes are okay. We need to lay that foundation. But you see, somewhere, when we're dealing with the heart, See, all of these things in this series are matters of the heart. They're much more difficult to get to and understand. It takes more of a digging, kind of an archaeological dig down into the places in our heart to begin to understand. It's much more difficult. But somewhere deep within our being, see, there are motives. We have motives. And what motives are, are the reasons behind our wants. It's, it's, it's what drives what we do and ends up in our behavior deep within our heart. And they can carry us across this kind of invisible line in our heart into coveting territory that can silently kill our spirit. Just like that mist that you saw in that little bumper video where it's just kind of like fog. Somewhere within our heart, there's this line that takes something very pure, something very beautiful and something very wonderful, and it can cross this invisible line into a place that can actually destroy our spirit. And if we're not watching, if we're not willing to examine our heart and to look at what that is and allow God to show us what's going on in our heart, we are extremely vulnerable to crossing that line. So today we're going to look at when do legitimate wants and desires turn into that sort of coveting? Watch this. Man, I got two questions for you. 
What do you do and how do you do it? <laughs> I'm a stockbroker. Stockbroker? Oh. Had to go to college to be a stockbroker, huh? You don't have to. Have to be good with numbers and good with people. That's it. Hey, you take care. Hey, I'm gonna let you hang on to my car for the weekend, but I need it back for Monday. Feed the meter. Still remember that moment. They all looked so happy to me. Why couldn't I look like that? Now you gotta understand there's nothing wrong with awesome cars. There's nothing wrong with being happy. But here's the deal. We have to ask ourselves, how am I pursuing happiness? Is that creepy? <laughs> I said, Jamie, find me an eyeball. I just want to creep you out. Because that's kind of what we do. We have this eye. And, we get, and I'm going to let it look at you. And I'm not going to look at it. <laughs> and it's going to creep you out. But this is what we do. We have an eye. And we get it on something. And somewhere in there, it takes us from, ooh, I can see it out the corner of my eye. <laughs> but we have to ask ourselves, how am I pursuing what I'm pursuing? What's my standard? Is it what I see other people have? Do the smiles and beauty say happy? And why do I want what I want? And what are my motives? What are the reasons that I'm pursuing what I pursue? Well, it's a matter of what we value. It's a matter of our heart. <laughs> Creeped out long enough? Okay, you can take it away. <laughs> There's a beggar on the street, and uh, he was talking to his friends, and he said, if only I had $100, I'd never complain again. So a businessman was walking by, and he said, did I just hear you say if you had $100 that you'd never complain again? He said, yes, sir, mister, that is right. So the businessman pulls out his wallet, he gives him $100 and he says, you know, I'm just glad that I can kind of bring some happiness to the world today. And the man walks away and the beggar says, oh man, I wish I'd have said $200. <laughs> See, one of the ways that we can know is when we're not satisfied with what we already have. And we want more. And we're willing to manipulate other people to get what we want or to compromise our integrity and give up some of the values that we know are right. That's when we begin to cross a line into deadly coveting that will destroy our spirit. See, discontentment begins to reside in our hearts. I don't have what I want and there's never enough. And it's like we develop this scarcity mentality. I just never have enough. Our eye begins to set on what we don't have. And so then our motives are to get that. I love this quote Ken Crockett said. He said, contentment isn't having everything we want, but wanting everything we have. So somehow our wants need to be reshaped and changed. So, so are you saying even our problems we should want? Well, yeah, maybe. I just had someone in my office 
the other, yesterday and, and he said, you know what? This thing happened in my life and I thought it was really awful. And then it was just like the Lord said to me, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe I can use this thing in your life to make a difference in somebody else's life. Two weeks ago, it felt to me like the rug was pulled out and it was like upset the fruit basket. Everything was changing and things were happening and, and it was like, oh my goodness, I got to get this taken care of. And suddenly the Holy Spirit said, wait a minute, I might just be doing something new. And my whole mindset began to change. Maybe it's God showing you through that problem some kind of opportunity that he wants to use to draw you closer to him or transform your heart. Or maybe he wants to show you something awesome. So instead of praying those, prayer, those problems away, maybe we just need to admit when we take the things that we already have for granted. You know that spouse that's driving you insane? <laughs> gets on your last nerve. Maybe that person isn't... I saw heads go. <laughs> I love watching that from up here. <laughs> Maybe that's just the person that God wants to use to transform you into becoming more like Him. You know, we have to shift that view. And when we can admit that, you know, maybe it's uh, living here in the USA. We gripe and complain about all kinds of things, but I guarantee you, Probably most all of us woke up after sleeping in a bed last night. And I was thinking this morning when I was brushing my teeth, I get to brush my teeth with this water. I don't have to use bottled water. You know, we have so much. And we take so much for granted. And we get our eyes on what we don't have. And it changes our mentality and it begins to make us depressed and we get stuck there and, and we're not even realizing that we're not even appreciating maybe the problems that God has given us or the uh, being able to come here and worship today. There's so much that we have. And when we can admit that, we'll begin to develop a generous heart. We'll begin to develop a grateful heart for what I do have. Just like Buddy was talking about this morning, God, you have given me everything. It's with a grateful heart that I give you back just a small portion. It changes everything. Now, I could covet something that a friend of mine has. She has no shaved legs. <laughs> what? I just found out last week that... <laughs> that she doesn't have to shave her legs. Now, ladies, you're with me on this, right? Men, uh, I've talked to men, you know, Christian. Uh, he hates shaving too, therefore the beard. I can't grow a beard on my legs. You know, that shaving thing just really gets on my nerves. I mean, she has legs and arms that are soft and as smooth as baby skin. I mean, it's really true. Shaving legs is so annoying. Would I love to have no shaved legs? <laughs> I mean, I just think it'd be awesome. Have you ever noticed how depressing it is to want something you don't have? You, it is. It's depressing. And we get stuck there. But here's the thing. I do have legs. And I remember as a teenager, you know, I, you know how teenagers are 
can be vain and they have to be taught how. Anyway, I remember as a teenager, they served me well. I was a cheerleader, but I hated the shape of my legs. You know, I had those big ankles and it just wasn't what I saw other people have or on the magazines or whatever. And one day as a teenager, uh, I visited, we had an Amish family live right across the street. They drove the horse and buggy and everything. And we loved going over there and they were wonderful people. And they would take children in to their home and uh, children that were underprivileged or less fortunate. And one day I went over to their house and sitting on a swing was a little girl that had no arms and no legs. And they were kind of holding her on there and helping her swing. And I looked at her and I even talked to that little girl and she was a beautiful little girl. You know what? That changed me that day. It changed me. It was the day that I became thankful for my legs. The vanity thing went out the window. It went out the door. Because I have strong, yes, Harry, <laughs> legs. They carry me to some amazing places. They're, str they're strong. They allow me to walk. And every day when I go out on my walk and I'm listening to my music and praising the Lord, I thank Him every day for my legs. Might sound silly to you. But it's a huge thing to me because I went from vain and ungrateful and I on what I didn't have to having a grateful heart. That's what he does in us. You see, it's so easy to want what we don't have and to look over there. There it is again. And it's much harder to adjust our wants. And as creepy as that looks, that's what we tend to do. We look over there and we say, why don't I have that? I want that. I want, and we all have something like that. Mine just happens to be no shaved legs. It's hard to adjust our wants, but culture capitalizes on luring people to cross that covet line. If it were not so, porn wouldn't be so popular. I see that, and I want that, and I want that for my pleasure. I see that girl, I see that guy, and I want him for my pleasure. Magazines wouldn't sell if it were not so. Advertising wouldn't work and the Joneses wouldn't have anyone to try to keep up with them. They'd be so lonely. And the grass is greener on the other side, I'm sure had to be coined around deadly coveting. Secondly, okay, you can take it away. They've had enough. <laughs> Secondly, coveting is a silent killer when we want the benefits of something without being willing to accept the personal cost. My friend with the no-shaved legs, it cost her weeks of excruciating chemotherapy. Am I willing to accept that? To have no-shaved legs? Oh, I don't think I want that part. I just want the no-shave legs. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is by John Maxwell. He's got some great ones. But he says, if you want what I have, are you willing to do what I've done? If you want what they have, are you willing to do what they've done? 
See, we get our eyes on what others have and it's just the tip of the iceberg effect. We have to remember this. We only see 1% of their story. I was walking yesterday and uh, I saw my neighbor and she is a lovely lady and she came out. They've got a brand new black Volvo. It's beautiful. And every time I see her when I'm walking, I mean, she has the biggest smile on her face and she waves to me and it always just makes me feel like I love my community. And to look at her, people would think she has the world by the tail. But I also know that her husband has been in and out of the hospital back and forth for four years straight. And what they've been going through is so difficult. At face value, it looks like she has the world by the tail. I, I know a young couple, a beautiful couple. I mean, these, this couple could be on the front of a magazine. They have a brand new car. They have a house, the house of their dreams. And really, it's what most young people, they have youth, what they have love with each other, what most young people look and say, that's what I want. But I spent time with them. I went to a baby shower yesterday, and I spent time with them. And, and, and I look in their eyes when they talk about how they want a baby and haven't been able to do. And I look in the eyes of many couples that have not been able to have a child and the pain that is there. And they look on to other people that have babies. And they look on to four children and say, could I have one of those? So at face value, it's what everybody looks at and says, yeah, that's what I want. But the pain behind that and the struggle, they have their own ways of not looking out and coveting someone else. The man in the clip uh, with the car, it cost him something. Will Smith's character, it, that's a true story. The man was homeless, he was destitute, and he looked at what other people had that he didn't have, and he said, how do I get that? But he decided to do it with integrity. He didn't grow up with a father, but he determined to do whatever it took to be a single parent that didn't compromise, that he would have integrity and he would do whatever it took to be present for his son. It cost him something. No shortcuts. He daily tackled his dire circumstances and he moved beyond them. He counted the cost. He knew there were benefits that he wanted, but he also knew that he had to walk the walk. See, we often ask God for things and we want the benefits without the personal cost. And we get angry when he doesn't do what we want. Why aren't you doing it the way I want you to do, God? Maybe we need to examine our heart. You see, it's a matter of our heart. This is what makes coveting so difficult. Because it's contentious, it's explosive, it causes arguments, it involves the motives within our heart. So let's take this next scripture and let's read this together. Okay, read that for me. What causes fights?
see, sometimes we ask with the wrong motives. <laughs> Thank you, Bobby, for leading that. Surrendering our heart. Being gutsy enough to allow God to expose some motives in our heart that may not be pleasing to him. That's the road to freedom. Because you see, somewhere in there, there may have been a pure motive that very silently went over to a motive that's not so pure anymore. And God wants to show us what that is if we're courageous enough. A lot of times we don't want to look at it. But in reality, that is our road to freedom. And it makes us less vulnerable to cross that deadly coveting line. Because I can tell you this, if we don't do that, an unexamined heart and refusal to do that will develop all kinds of poison in our heart. Jealousy, envy, sexual problems, relational failures, if we're not careful. If we're not courageous enough to allow God to shine a light in our own heart. But here's why I love living in New Testament times instead of Old Testament times. Because this is where Jesus comes in. You see, he specializes in matters of the heart. He goes way beyond telling us what not to do to this deeper place. That's why he died on the cross, because there are places within our heart. He knew that we couldn't just focus on behavior. If you tell a child, don't do that, what are they going to do? That's the humanity in us. Not even wise to do that. It's to approach that with understanding and love and grace and walk alongside. And that's what Jesus does with us. And he says that I want to show you those places in your heart that aren't pleasing to me so that my blood can purify that. And those motives will be gone. And when you pray, you will be praying with motives that I will hear and I will answer. You see... He made it really simple for us, actually. Jesus did. He always would bring it down and simplify it. Doesn't mean it's easy to live. But here's what he said. Read this with me. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things. So we work our butts off to do all of this other stuff. And we get our eye on this and that and the other when Jesus says, put me first which gets us all the way back around from the 10th commandment to the first. Because whatever we value, whatever we put before Jesus is an idol. And God hates idols. And just this morning, I opened up Jesus Calling and it talked about how we can make idols out of all kinds of things, even our children. And it was talking about Abraham and Isaac and how God was trying to to teach Abraham not to have son worship, not to have child worship. Yes, we can put our children. I can tell you this. I love this lady and this gentleman. Uh, they're my blood family. But if I put them before I put Jesus in my life, I have made them an idol. Even parental love can be an idol. And God says, be courageous enough to allow me to show those motives in your heart. And the only way I can show that to you is if you surrender your heart to me. And if you walk in a relationship with me, and you walk in my ways, 
So I just wonder this morning if you would ask God to search your heart. All of us are there. We're all human. We all have something that he can show us. Ask God to search your heart and reveal your motives and find that thing that may not be pleasing to him because that's the thing that will cross this invisible, silent line into being a deadly killer of our spirit. There's a cost. You might see something that you don't like. I can guarantee you will because that's what happened to me. But I can tell you this. You'll be on the road to a peace and a joy and a freedom that passes all understanding. And it'll blow you away. See, it's a matter of our heart. Let's stand and worship. If you are a new Christian and would like to know what to do next or where to go from here, you will want to get a free Next Step packet that contains reading materials and useful resources that will point you in the right direction. For more information, please contact Salem Fields Community Church at 540-786-6212 or visit our website at salemfields.com or email us at podcast at salemfields.com.